but luckily, anytime we go to God's Word and uh, trust the Spirit of God to teach us, whether it's five minutes or 50 minutes or, or anything longer, like Dad probably preaches, what, an hour and 20? Um, whenever we go to the Word of God, it has the ability, whether it's just brief or a long study, it has the ability to change our life and to transform us in some way. And so this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to visit a passage that's going to be quite familiar, one of my favorites. Um, this is one of those passages that usually is referenced at weddings, um, but this passage is not just for weddings. In fact, when Paul wrote it, I don't think he was thinking about weddings at all, um, but it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and many of you know right away, oh, he's talking about the love chapter, and that's why we talk about it at weddings, but not at a wedding this morning. We are students of Scripture just here to ask God to teach us, and there is so much to learn from this beautiful passage, um, not just for this. Uh, we, can, we can look at this, and maybe you know this, and maybe you've memorized this passage of Scripture, and um, there's some lofty idealism here uh, if we don't stop and pause and really think through, well, what was Paul writing about? What did he mean? Because there are very practical behaviors in this passage. It's not just lofty idealism. It's very practical. So I'm going to read just a portion of it to you, and then we're going to spend some time just working through it. But starting in verse 1 of chapter 13, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Some people don't like to take this passage, and especially what comes next after it, and kind of break it down and pull it apart. You say it's like pulling the petals off of a flower because it's so beautiful, and then some teacher or pastor gets up there and starts to just dissect it. But some analysis is necessary for us to appreciate and to grasp what the Apostle Paul is saying here. There's three aspects of love that we should see right away. Um, first, it's superior for, for our Christian lives. How we relate to one another, how we interact as the church, as the body. For, for our lives together, love is superior over everything else. We'll unpack that for a few minutes. But then we see here there's some very practical and very straightforward language. And then Paul talks about how love endures. There's this permanence to it. We should read this together as we understand there's a, there's a context here. I'm not going to back up all the way to chapter 1, but the chapter just before this, chapter 12, he introduced um, matters pertaining to the Spirit of God. And the first part of chapter 12 is a focus of the Spirit and the Lordship of Christ in our lives. Jesus is Lord, and that's what the Spirit of God emphasizes all the time in our lives. Dad's at home saying, Jesus, Jesus, I just speak the name of Jesus because he knows that's where I go for healing. Well, it's the activity of the Holy Spirit causing us to cry out to Jesus and to speak his name because it's the activity of the Holy Spirit that reminds us, 
constantly. Jesus is Lord. He's in control. And the Holy Spirit makes Christ real to us. And so if you have any sense at all of the reality of the presence of Christ in your life, it's because of the Holy Spirit working in your life. That's part of chapter 12. Then Paul moves on in chapter 12 and he talks about the gifts of the Spirit. How every believer has been equipped with certain spiritual gifts and those are meant to push us into some form of ministry to one another. And if we're not learning to use those gifts in some way, we're really just sabotaging God's program for our lives. He's given them that we might serve the body of Christ. Now we get to chapter 13, what we just read a moment ago, and we come to the fruit of the Spirit. And maybe you hear me say that, and if you're a student of the Word, and you're a student of Paul's letters, you say, wrong location, Tony. That's not what Paul's talking about here. That's from Galatians. It's connected. He's talking here about the fruit of the Spirit. He's, um, well, I'll, just, I'll just unpack it here for the next few, few minutes. But Paul says that I'm going to show you a more excellent way, and that is the way of love. And I call this the fruit of the Spirit. Like you're thinking Galatians chapter 5 when you hear me say that. But if you, if you are familiar with that passage, Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit this way. He says it's love, it's joy, it's peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's been pointed out a lot that all these qualities that Paul just referenced here are really just manifestations of love. If you're loving, the rest of these things are true. That our joy is just love expressing itself. That peace is just learning in love to rest. Patience is love waiting, and kindness is love reacting, and goodness is love choosing, and faithfulness is love keeping its word. Gentleness is our love showing up as sympathizing or empathizing, and self-control is love choosing to resist temptation. And in all these, love is key, and love is the main thing. If we have the love of God in our hearts, then we can be patient and we can be peaceful and good and loving and faithful and gentle and kind and all these other qualities. But without love, all we can do is try and imitate these qualities. And we might pull it off here and there throughout our daily lives, but most of the time it's just a facade. And one of the most deadly enemies of the Christian cause is fake love, phony love. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, Paul says, let your love be genuine, let it be sincere. Don't be hypocritical in the way you love. One of the things that happens is when we're just faking it, we're just going through the motions, you show up in the body of Christ and you smile and you shake some hands and pretend to be patient and kind and gentle and all those things. And as soon as you leave, you take that off and you return back to something much different. Nothing is more destructive. Nothing spreads sickness in the body of Christ more than fake love that's not sincere. It's important to define what the word love is here as we're talking about it this morning. I am crazy about my wife. And I say I love you all the time. When I, that comes out of my mouth and it's just this reaction to, to her, like, 
um, it's probably not the word that we're talking about here this morning. The word eros is not in the Bible. That's that, um, that's what that passionate uh, attraction that we have for another person is in the Greek language. That kind of love, I don't find it in the Word of God. Strangely enough, that's the most common way I think we think about it now. There's another Greek word from the time that Paul wrote this. Um, you think of the word Philadelphia, the root Greek word there, uh, philia. It means affection or friendship, feeling of warmth towards someone else. That's another way that we use this word in a kind of... Uh, kind of a universally distributed way. That's not what Paul's talking about here. The word is, in the Greek language, you're probably aware of it, it's agape, and it's this commitment of the will to cherish and to uphold another person. A commitment of our will. And that's the word that's used to describe the love of God towards you, towards me, towards his people. It's a decision that we are supposed to make, a commitment to other people to show concern and care and thoughtfulness and to work for their best interest. This kind of love is only possible for those who first love God. I do not hesitate to say that. Any attempt to exercise this kind of love without first loving God and receiving God's love will just be phony, temporary, and passing. And the reason is because, let's just be honest, we can all drive each other crazy in a hurry, right? If it's not for God's grace being poured out upon us for all the things that we do, and being recipients of that grace and his mercy being aware that he loves me in spite of me, then we are helpless in loving one another when we get on each other's last nerve. Scripture has two great commandments. The first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second, Jesus says, is love your neighbor as yourself. We cannot turn that around. Our love for one another starts with our loving response to God who loves us. And as we interact with God on that level, it makes it possible for us to love one another. Love for God shouldn't be difficult. My son Evan, the other day, he hit me up with a question. He always asks a question right when I'm about to fall asleep. He's a teenager and he stays up way later than I do. And he usually catch me in, like, the house is quiet, everything's shut down, and I'm thinking to myself, great, I'm going to bed. And then he'll come sit down and say, Dad, can we talk about the love of God for a minute? I'm trying to figure out, you know, how do we know that we really love God correctly? And I'm thinking to myself, and I, I started to try and go down the list, and I said, son, can you write down that question, anything else you got? And we can talk about it tomorrow when Dad's awake. Um, but love for God should not be difficult for us. It's a response to his love for us. And there are so many ways he's revealed his love for us. In creation, in the supply of all we need. You know, Jesus, when he was teaching, basically said, don't worry. Your father knows what you need. He's going to give it all. And that's when he goes through that little thing, consider the birds. 
He basically says, the Lord knows what you need before you even ask. The Lord supplies your needs. Why? Because he loves you. He puts you in the various places that you go in life, that those experiences that build you up, because he loves you. But above all, he's revealed his love to you by giving his son for you. So that you could be saved and redeemed and forgiven and have your heart healed. Your sin, your guilt taken away. God's called you to himself. And when we remember all this, when we think on all of this, our hearts should be stirred with love and that should be our natural response back to him. We love him because he first loved us. When we understand this and when we experience this, it awakens within us the capacity to love one another. There's this supernatural quality to it. God alone can give us this kind of love, the kind of love that Paul's describing here. That's what God is, and that's what he makes us to be by the activity of his Holy Spirit. Jesus says that we are in him. This would be another sermon, but if you go to John chapter 14, he talks about us being in him. And Paul would say it this way in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, that we're all made to drink of one spirit. And that's the process that happens where we become part of Jesus. He in us, us in him, him in the Father. And because of that relationship, we have the capacity to act in love. And what Paul's saying in this little passage is because you have the capacity then do it. You are in Christ. He loves you. He shed his love abroad upon you. Therefore, you have the ability to love, so do it. Love one another. There's some qualities here of this kind of love. It's, there's the superior value of love. Really, if you ask what makes life worth living, Paul's understanding is love does. Corinth was an interesting place. There are some things that were highly valued and highly important to the people of Corinth. First was the ability to communicate. They valued people like Jeff David, people who were going to show up next week and could speak eloquently in an educated way. They really enjoyed listening to smart people. They were especially entranced by the gift of tongues and the ability to speak in languages that they'd never learned. They made a whole lot of spiritual gifts. And so Paul begins on that note in verse 1. And he says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, just a big noisemaker. The only reference in all of Scripture to tongues of angels is right here. And Paul is saying that a loving person is more important in the church and to the church than a person that's able to speak in languages, all languages of heaven and earth. Therefore, it is essential that we learn to love. Paul's saying communication, great communication, as nice as it is, without love, it's useless. And then he compares love to two other qualities that were admired by the people of Corinth and in our day as well. 
the power to know things and the power to do things. In verse 2 he says, if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing, absolutely nothing. Paul here is thinking about theologians, what we would call theologians, men and women who had great ability to detect and to understand the mysteries of Scripture and to answer every biblical question that you could throw at them. Paul says, if I could answer all those questions, and if I could explain all those mysteries, and if I could move mountains but still not be a loving person, it's all nothing. Finally, he takes up the matter of what we call sacrificial zeal. In verse 3, he says, If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, then I gain nothing. There are many reasons why people give things away. Sometimes they give things away because they see someone in need and they just want to respond to it in kindness. Sometimes it's a a certain cause that they want to support and they're willing to sacrifice their own possessions in order to advance that cause or to meet that need. Sometimes people give for very selfish reasons even though it appears generous. Ever have anybody in your family give you something with some strings attached? That's not fun. Paul says, if I give away everything I have, but I am not loving, the end result is I gain nothing. Paul understands we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and all of our works, all of our efforts are going to be tested by fire, Paul says. And that fire is going to reveal what came from a pure heart and from love and what came from selfishness. And Paul's saying, if I can do all this, I can give it all away, but I have not love, it's nothing. The judgment seat of Christ, it will be revealed as nothing. We have been set here to learn to love. And without learning that, we are wasting our time. No matter how impressive your achievements might be in life, no matter how highly regarded you might be amongst your peers or even in the body of Christ, if you have not learned to be loving, it's all nothing, according to what Paul is saying. In the next section here, the Apostle Paul goes on and he gets very practical with this, which I greatly appreciate something that moves right down to our normal, everyday, ordinary life, where love shows up and it's manifest. As we read this, nothing is more helpful than to just ask ourselves a question. The question's simple. Am I growing in love? Paul's talking about the practicality of love here, and we can look back over our lives over the last year and ask, am I growing in these ways? Am I able to handle people more graciously and more with more kindness and gentleness? Am I more compassionate, more patient toward them? These are measurements of our lives that we can do. 
don't hold up other qualities as we do this. Well, maybe I'm not patient, maybe I'm not kind, but I really, uh, I really do give a lot of things away. I really do put in a lot of effort to reading the word and telling other people the word. Let's not try to escape. Let's say, am I growing in love? Let's ask that question. Paul helps us out here. In verse 4, he gets very practical. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. Notice there's only three positive things that Paul says here, and he, he makes love very simple. When we ask, what is agape love? Like, how is Paul describing it? He says three things are true about this kind of love, that it's patient, and it's kind, and it's honest. It rejoices in truth. The quality of the love that we're talking about here today is that which produces patience and kindness and honesty. The negatives that are given here, associated with what Paul said about love, they're just given because we have to recognize there are things in our lives that we must set aside to be patient and kind and honest. If we want to love others the way we're supposed to in the Christian life, there are things that we must get rid of those negatives that are suggested here. All of the progress that happens in our Christian lives comes by first experiencing the love of God towards us, the cross, the resurrection of Christ. But that really, for us, needs to be seen as this symbolic thing that happens within us as well as we die daily, as we take up our own cross. There's a resurrection that happened for Jesus, but there's a resurrecting power available to us that causes us to be able to reach out to people with patience and kindness and honesty. It's so easy to admire this chapter. I've done so many weddings over the years where people wanted this passage quoted at some point during their ceremony. It's an easy chapter to admire, but it's difficult to actually live this way and to understand what really produces this kind of love within us. Let's talk for a minute about the negative things here. Paul's got this list of things that we have to put away. If we're honest, some of these things are easy to hold on to because they're enjoyable. And we don't want to give them up. When somebody's done something to us, there's a certain amount of pleasure that comes from getting a measure of revenge, right? Making them feel some pain, giving them a piece of our mind. Isn't that fun? You've got the exact winning argument. They've hurt you, they've done something, and you're thinking to yourself, as soon as they stop talking, they're going to get a piece of my mind, and I'm going to win, right? And, and we verbally when there's joy in that momentarily right we find great pleasure in winning and so that's something that we don't necessarily want to get rid of now Paul I think I want to hold on to that one and Paul says if you hold on to that one you're not going to be patient and kind and honest 
you have to get rid of it. We want love. We want to receive love. But first, our natural impulse is just we want the flesh. And Paul says, if that's true, then we do not experience and dispense the love of God. And so that's why these negative qualities are here, because Paul's saying very clearly, get rid of those things. Put those things away. What are the things that keep us from being patient? This word means being patient with people so that you don't immediately wipe them out or shut them off or turn them off, but you wait patiently and allow things to work out. The word actually means great suffering, enduring some suffering, and let people have a chance to work out the problem. So let's really think about this in practical terms. God wants us to be patient. And so how does he accomplish that? He sends people that cause us to feel like we're suffering greatly so that we can learn patience. Kindness means to be courteous and gracious and pleasant to people. Paul says that's what love is. What stops that? First on the list is jealousy. Often we're not patient and kind because we're jealous and we're spiteful. They're enjoying something that we want and Drives us crazy that they've got it. Paul says, be patient and be kind. He says, love is not jealous. It's not boastful. Hopefully we all outgrow this as we mature in life. But man, when we're young and we're growing up, Sometimes we can't even hear somebody else's sentences because the whole time they're talking, all we're thinking is, when can I interject? And when can I throw something into this conversation that directs attention back to me? Paul's saying that's not love. It's not boastful. Then Paul says love's not arrogant. Arrogance is just a lack of respect for other people. It's disdain for them, and it's ignoring how they feel and asserting ourselves regardless of what the result might be for, for them. He says love's not rude. It's not puffed up. Love does not insist on its own way, meaning it's not stubborn. It's not inflexible. Everyone else just has to adjust. But love finds a way it will look at things from a different perspective and from a different angle and say, I'm not going to be self-centered, I'm not going to be stubborn, but what do we really need to do here for peace to happen? Then he says, love's not irritable or resentful. Nothing destroys human relationships more than being irritable and then holding on to resentment and becoming bitter with each other. Henry Drummond, a long time ago, did a great little message on this part of this passage. He says, No form of vice, no worldliness, nor greed of gold, nor drunkenness itself does more to unchristianize society than evil temper. For embittering life, for breaking up communities, for destroying the most sacred relationships, for devastating homes, for withering up men and women, for taking the bloom off childhood, in short, for 
sheer gratuitous misery producing power, this influence stands alone. And he's talking about being resentful, being bitter with one another. We cannot be loving if we're holding on to resentment and bitterness. Finally, it says, love does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the truth. Meaning love just doesn't gloat over other people's misery, their misfortunes. Love's willing to hear the truth. It's not concerned about being protected from injury, but really wants to know what's going on, what's happening. Paul gathers it all up together now with this very beautiful expression in verse 7, and he says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Literally, Paul says it covers all. It covers everything. So with love being at work within us, when we learn something unpleasant about someone else, Paul's saying love doesn't run and spread it around the neighborhood or all over social media. It doesn't take delight in someone's misdeeds. Love covers it. It keeps it silent. Doesn't spread it for other people to hear. Love believes all things. That doesn't mean that love is gullible. Please do not read it that way. Don't receive it that way. When you think about the night that Jesus was arrested and who betrayed him, one of his companions, one of the guys that had been there throughout his earthly ministry, and Judas comes to him with the guard that's there to arrest Jesus. They've got their whole cohort there, and Judas has planned it out, and he says, basically, I'm going to walk up and I'm going to kiss him on the cheek. That's how we're going to identify which one's Jesus. That's the guy you arrest. Jesus knew exactly what was happening, what was going on, and Judas comes over there, and he does his thing. He plants a kiss on Jesus' cheek to identify him, and Jesus doesn't say in that moment, oh, Judas, thank you for coming to your senses and for showing this great expression of love towards me. He wasn't gullible at all. He understood, Judas, you're betraying me with a kiss. He understood the truth, not gullible, that Jesus is full of love. Love, though, says, even though I'm not gullible, and even though I understand and I recognize the truth, that I'm willing to start over because... Love hopes all things. No cause, no situation, no person should ever be regarded as totally hopeless. There's a place to begin again. And if there is, love's going to find it, right? How many of us, I mean, man, parenting is not for the weak, right? I, I, I feel bad. Like the longer I'm a parent, the more I feel guilty for what like the pain I must have caused my parents. Because you know, my boys are pretty good, but still, life comes at us, and sometimes I'm thinking, well, how do we do this? Like, I, this is a prayer. Sometimes, like, God, are you kidding? Like, I wasn't ready for that. I didn't see that coming. But there's this love that God gives us for a family for our children, for our parents, for our siblings. Really, it's supposed to be the kind of love we have for one another because we're all 
his children, adopted into his family, brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God, right? Where we are called to hope all things. To not give up. To say, I don't regard that person as hopeless. And you say, I don't really know how we fix that problem. I don't really know how we get on the other side of it. But love endures all things as well. And so we go to the Father and say, Lord, I, I know that I'm not called to give up on this person, that I'm called to hope part of my love for them that I receive from you compels me to hope. And as I'm hoping, not quite understanding how it's all going to play out in the end, I know that the love that you provide allows me to endure along with them as we hope, not giving up on anyone. It's been pointed out that you could take this paragraph that we've looked at today and you could take out the word love and you could just insert the name Jesus and it fits. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus is not jealous or boastful. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. He's not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Jesus bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things, and he endures all things. When we read it that way, it's very evident to us that love is the character of Christ, our Savior. And that's what the Holy Spirit desires to reproduce in you and me, in all of us. So becoming more Christ-like means becoming more like him in love. And this is a measure of our spiritual growth. This is a test that you can take at home. It's humbling. If you ask yourself this question, well, if I take the word love out or if I take the word Jesus, can I put my own name in this passage and still have it be true? And would other people believe it? Because when I, when I put Jesus' name in this passage, you all believe it, right? When I say Jesus is patient and kind and not jealous or boastful, all these things, you go, yeah, that's true. That's, that's Jesus' nature. That's his character. Those things are all true of Jesus. What if we put our own name in this passage and read it? Is it true? Would other people say it's true? That is what the Lord desires to produce in us. He wants this to be true of his children. He wants this to be true in our relationships with one another. I know Christians who have spent 20, 30, 40 years going to church, and they're just as difficult and cantankerous and quarrelsome as they were 20, 30, 40 years ago. Something is very wrong with a life like that.
the whole purpose and the work of the Spirit is to teach us to be loving and patient and kind, forgiving, understanding, giving others a chance, trying over again, being open to correction and instruction. These are qualities that can be and should be produced in our Christian life, and it's what makes life worth living. It's the measure of Christian spirituality, and it's all pleasing to our Heavenly Father. Do you know that the Lord loves you that way? Are you receiving the fact that he loves you that way? That he's hoped all things and he's endured all things and he has not given up on you. And he's calling you to love others that way, being patient and kind and honest. What an amazing church it would be, not just here, but here and everywhere that God's people gather and do community together as the people of God if we truly loved each other this way, if we were patient and kind and honest. That's what he desires. That's what he wants. And that's what would be best for all of us. And so I would pray that it's true, that we measure this up, that we ask the question, is this true of me? And then if it's not, we do the right thing that we do as believers. We go to God and say, okay, Lord, your word has had its effect. It's done its thing. It's revealed things in me that I know you want to change. And so, Lord, I surrender those areas to you and ask that you change me and you transform me for your glory, for your honor, so that I live the way you call me to live. I'll stop there this morning. We'll, we'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us and that our love for you is just an echo and a response to the love that you've made us so aware of in all of creation, the things that surround us, the beauty of this world that we live in, the giving of your son, Jesus, so that we could be forgiven and have a relationship with you, the gift of your Holy Spirit that comes and walks with us at all times and teaches and instructs us and compels us to uh, grow spiritually with one another in community. Lord, I pray that we live in a way that is honoring to you and to one another, that it would be true of us that as we evaluate ourselves and we evaluate our relationships with one another, that we would know, yes, that's true. I and the people of God, we are growing in patience and kindness and honesty. We're putting away all things that hinder love within the community of faith. We're setting those things aside. Though they might bring momentary pleasure or make things feel better in the moment, we recognize they're a hindrance to love growing within us and in the community. And so, Lord, we set them aside and we say, because you have loved us with patience and kindness and truth, we want to love others in the same manner. Lord, I pray that that changes and transforms our lives individually and corporately and makes this church and your church an amazing place to be, to be known and to be loved as we grow together, serving you and honoring you. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone have a great week, and please don't miss...